1978, a, uh, a book was released by a man named Michael Hart, and the title of it was called The 100. The 100. And it was detailing, according to this man, who were the most 100 most influential people in the history of the world. And so you probably have people in mind that you think would be on that list. Uh, let me just give you the top 10 of who he says are the 100 most, uh, uh, the 10 most influential people in the history of the world. Number 10, he says, is Albert Einstein, the physicist. Number 9, Christopher Columbus, the explorer. 8, Johann Gutenberg, who created the printing press. Number 7, Tsai Loon, who created paper so that Gutenberg could print on the printing press. Number 6, St. Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament. 5, Confucius. 4, Buddha. Number 3, he put Jesus Christ. Number two, Isaac Newton. And number one, Muhammad, the founder of Islam. Now, you know rankings and lists are made to be debated, right? Uh, all you have to do is look at the BCS poll or whatever it might be, and rankings are made to be debated. Probably the most controversial thing on this is that he didn't put Jesus Christ at number one. Uh, I don't just say that because I'm a Christian, but scholars across the board would acknowledge Jesus as probably the most influential person in the history of mankind. Uh, one of the ironies is even on this list, 80% of the people in this list of 100 people are Christians, followers of Jesus. And so, uh, so in my opinion, I think Jesus is the most influential person to walk the face of the earth. But the reason I bring that up is because there was a person missing from this top 100. A person that might just be in the top three most influential people in the world. And it's really this man that we're going to start journeying with this week. And his name is Abram. And God changes his name to Abraham. Now you may wonder, how is he so influential? Well, in scripture, uh, much of the book of Genesis is about Abram and his descendants. But even in the New Testament, Abram is cited many, many times. But even historically, Abram is one of the pinnacle fathers in three of the major faiths, in Judaism, in Christianity, and in Islam. Christianity and Islam being the dominant religions of the world. And both of them would trace their ancestry back to Father Abraham. And so Abraham is a very influential person for even today's world. And this is who we're going to be looking at today. If you would open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter 11, uh, we are currently going through the book of Genesis. Uh, we're going verse by verse. We're reading it all. And uh, we're going to start out with some genealogy. And so if you're looking for kids' names, this is a good place to start. Um, could be creative, some unique names. Uh, but they're also very important. It shows us how we got to Abram. How we got from Noah to Abram. One of Noah's son's names is Shem. And so that's where it starts out. So we're going to break this up a little bit. Let me pray before we read God's word. Lord, we do pray that you would open our hearts to your word, that you would teach us from your word this morning, that we would see your promises and your blessings upon Abram and upon Abraham, how they impact and they are blessings to us today, God. Move us from our comfort zones to pursue your purposes and to engage your promises through Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Genesis chapter 11, we'll start in verse 10. These are the generations of Shem. 
When Shem was 100 years old, he fathered Arpachshad. Two years after the flood, a good son's name, Arpachshad. And Shem lived after he fathered Arpachshad 500 years and had other sons and daughters. When Arpachshad had lived 35 years, he fathered Shelah. And Arpachshad lived after he fathered Shelah 403 years and had other sons and daughters. When Shelah had lived 30 years, he fathered Eber. And Shelah lived after he fathered Eber 403 years and had other sons and daughters. When Eber had lived 34 years, he fathered Peleg. And Eber lived after he fathered Peleg 430 years and had other sons and daughters. When Peleg had lived 30 years, he fathered Ru. And Peleg lived after he fathered Ru 209 years and had other sons and daughters. When Ru lived, had lived 32 years, he fathered Sarug. And Ru lived after he fathered Sarug 207 years and had other sons and daughters. When Sarug had lived 30 years, he fathered Nahor. And Sarug lived after he fathered Nahor 200 years and had other sons and daughters. When Nahor had lived 29 years, he fathered Terah. And Nahor lived after he fathered Terah 119 years and had other sons and daughters. And here's where we get to Abram. When Terah had lived 70 years, he fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran fathered Lot. So Lot was Abram's nephew. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah, in the land of his kindred, in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Ishah. Now Sarai was barren. She had no child. Let's take a break there. You see in this genealogy, the way that they listed out genealogy in the Old Testament, even as you look at the genealogy of Jesus, is they always took the oldest born male in the family. And they took his oldest born male and his oldest born male down through the generations. And now there is a major crisis. Because Abram, who is the oldest male in his family, is married to a woman who is the weak link. Not by any uh, problem of her own, not by any difficulty of her own, but because she is barren, because she can have no child. And so Abram can no longer pass along his line, along his heritage. But the other problem is that this is the line that the Savior is going to come through. This, the title of this series is Remnant of a Savior, and we see how God preserves his remnant throughout human history, throughout the destruction and sin of mankind, to bring the Savior that he has promised to Eve in Genesis chapter 3, to Adam and Eve, that from her line would come a Savior that would crush the head of the serpent. And so all of this is at stake with the barrenness of Sarah. It looks like a dead-end street, but with God it never ends there. The story doesn't end there. Let's keep reading. Verse, let's see, where are we at? Verse uh, 31, thank you. Terah took Abram his son and Lot the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. 
Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai his wife and Lot his brother's son and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tents. With Bethel on the west and I on the east, and there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going towards Negev. Abram is a guy uh, who pre-God we don't know much about. We know that his father was an idolater, that he worshipped false gods. Uh, so there's an assumption that Abram probably was as well. But Abram was a fairly insignificant figure. Someone that no one would know much about outside of his hometown of Ur. And yet we know of him today because God had called him. Because God initiated a relationship with Abram. And so God places this call on Abram's life. And before we get into the promises and blessings of that call, I first want to focus on how God is calling Abram away from something. He's calling him away from the things that give him comfort. Look at verse 1 with me in Genesis chapter 12. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Now Abram received this calling from God, both in Ur, also in Haran, where he'll end up. We'll have a map in a little bit to show you how this works. But he calls him away from anything that's familiar. First, he calls him away from his country. Ur would have been a wonderful place to live. Ur was a port city. They had lots of traffic coming through there, lots of commerce coming through. But they also had rivers that were hedging around the city. And so it was a fertile soil. So they had fruits and vegetables. It was a Great place to raise a family. But God calls him to leave his country. God also calls him to leave his kindred, his countrymen, those friendships that he has, those acquaintances. He calls him to leave that. And then he even calls him to leave his family, his father's household. Those that are closest to him. You know, mama and papa, grandma and grandpa, brother, sister, aunt and uncle. And he says, leave all these things. You know, what's ironic is those are the things that we kind of work towards, isn't it? Having a good place to live, a good good network of friends and associates, a good family. And yet God comes to Abram and says, leave it all. And you may wonder, why in the world would God call Abram to leave all these things? More so, why would Abram possibly do it? And it's because God is not just calling Abram from something good. God is calling Abram to something great, to the promises of his blessings. And so those are the blessings that we're going 
to look at today as we work through this text. And there's actually six that I listed out here. So this is a, this is a fairly heady sermon. Uh, so you have to get your thinking caps on. Hopefully you have your coffee, your Bible. Follow along with me. But there are six promises that he has for Abram. And uh, by God's grace, I got them to all start with the letter P. So maybe we can remember some of them, all right? This is what, this is what you know, preachers do. We see if we can make them all start with the same letter. The first, uh, God promises Abram property. And then he promises him a people. He promises him prosperity, protection, purpose, and presence. And so we're going to briefly go through all of those. Let's first see how God calls Abram to a property. Now, you see here there is a map. And uh, down here in the bottom right-hand corner uh, below Babylonia is the city of Ur. That's where Abram started. And God calls out to Abram and says, come to the land that I will show you. And so Abram starts his journey with his father and his nephew and his wife. And they head up to Haran here at the top of the screen. And they sit there for a while. It actually talks about this here in uh, 1131. It says that Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran. And so Abram probably came to his dad and said, Dad... God has called me to follow him to this land that I don't know about. And his dad said, okay, I'm going with you. And so they all set out together in this journey. And it says his son, uh, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Now this is really interesting because Abram starts this journey by faith. Abram starts going to the land that God has promised him. But something has come in the way. I don't know whether his faith had dwindled. I don't know where, whether his, his family was applying some sort of pressure for him to stay in Haran. They got burnt out or whatever it might be. But midway through following the call of God, he settles in Haran. And then God calls out to him again. And it says he brings him out. In Acts 7, verse 4, it says this. And, and again, what we'll see is the New Testament uh, is brought to life as we understand the story of Abram. We have this saying that Scripture interprets Scripture, and so the New Testament is very helpful in us understanding the story of Abram. Acts 7, 4 says this, Then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. And after his father died, God, I love this word, removed him from there into this land in which you are now living. This word for removed is actually only used one other time in the New Testament, and it means to exile or to take someone out of one country and put him in another. And so God comes to him and prods him and says, Abram, I know you're comfortable. I know you like it in Haran, but I have something amazing for you. I have an amazing calling on your life. Leave this land. And so God calls him out of Ur, calls him out of Haran, and calls him to follow him. God called Abram to an unknown land. At the end of verse 1, God says, Come to the land that I will show you. God is calling Abram to walk by faith. To walk to a land that he has no idea about what it is like, or where it even is. And he says, come and follow me. One person put it this way, and I love this illustration. It says, if God comes to Abram and says, close your eyes, take my hand, and follow me. Close your eyes, 
take my hand and follow me because I have an amazing plan for your life. I have amazing promises for you. Come and follow me. Hebrews 11 remarks this as an amazing act of faith. You see, faith is never still. Faith always takes action. You know, even as we look at the orphans and look at this house downtown, when we have faith, when we understand what God has done for us, faith moves us into action. Hebrews 11.8 By faith, Abram obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. You know, this calling by God probably seemed very illogical to Abram's friends. Probably seemed very illogical even to his family. He didn't know where he was going to get food. He didn't know where he was going to live. And yet God was calling him to something great. I mentioned to you earlier this Pastor Rico. Pastor Rico was driving through downtown and he saw this building. And he felt that God was prompting him to buy this building, to start this transitional community for men because none exists in town and to make it a place where the gospel is spoken, where the gospel shines forth. And so he steps out in faith to purchase this building because God is calling him towards that. You know, there might be things in your life that God is calling you to, something great, something wonderful, but you don't want to leave the comforts of your daily schedule, your daily routine, maybe your financial security, your neighborhood, whatever it might be. And God is saying, close your eyes, take my hand, and follow me. Go with me. I will provide for you. I will bless you. I will give you all the promises of the gospel. When Trish and I were uh, graduating seminary, uh, we knew that we were called to Wisconsin. Uh, It wasn't a whim. I have a lot of whims. It wasn't a whim. It was something that God had consistently put on our heart for about four years, that we were called to go and plant churches in Wisconsin. Well, after seminary, I looked for jobs, and I had job offers in various states that were very attractive job offers. But God reminded us, listen, I'm calling you to go to Wisconsin. I don't know how many people can say that. But God was calling us to Wisconsin. And so we, we rejected those other offers and we said, Lord, open the door for us. And God provided a place to go and work. I don't know what it is in your life, but my guess is that God has a calling on your life. And there are hesitations that you have. You're stuck in Haran because you do not want to go. Because it is comfortable where you're at. And God says, close your eyes, take your hand, and follow me. One of the things about God's calling on Abram as he delivers on his promise is it is a promise of this land that comes over a long period of time. Abram gets a section of the land. Uh, He buys it to bury his wife. But other than that, he's pretty much a nomad. He's a pilgrim in the land, living in tents. And the land isn't ultimately given to them until over 500 years later, after they're slaves in Egypt. And so Abram was this chain in God's promise to give them the promised land, to give his descendants the promised land. You know, it's amazing to be part of God's chain, God's glorious redemption throughout all eternity. The Bible tells us that our life is like a vapor, right? It is, it is, a, it is an act in the eternity of God's story. And God says, Abram, you get to be a critical part of this in bringing my people, forming a people for myself in this promised land. 
And so God calls Abram to a property, to the promised land, to the land of Canaan. God also promises to Abram a people. Look at verse 2 with me, if you would, in Genesis 12. It says, And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. Now remember, Abram is 75 years old at this point. All right? And his wife is not much younger. She is well past childbearing age. She has not had any children. As it says in the text, I love how it emphasizes it. It says, Sarah was barren. She had no children, right? Like you needed to say it twice. But it's emphasizing that this is something that is absolutely impossible for them to have kids. And God comes to Abram and he says, I'm going to make you into a great nation. Even later in Genesis, Abram tries to take that into his old hands. He sleeps with his maidservant to produce a child. And God comes to him and he reminds him, this is not the plan. I am going to provide you a child. Genesis 15, 5 through 6, God brought Abram outside and said, Look toward the heavens and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. He believed that God was going to bring a nation out of him when he was when his wife was barren, when he had no kids at all. Now, this is a really interesting thing. I don't know if you know this, but Abram, his name literally means exalted father or father of many. And then God changes his name to Abraham, which means father of nations. And so you could imagine how embarrassing it would have been for him. When he would have introduced himself to people at the age of 75, they said, hey, my name is Joe. He said, hey, I'm Abram. Oh, father of many. Tell me about your kids. Well, you know, I, I actually don't have any. And then, and then they go away and they meet him, you know, later. Hey, you're Abram, right? No, no, actually it's Abraham. Oh, father of nations. How's that going? Well, you know, I, I, I got one kid and uh, I like him, you know. And yet God promises a great nation, a people. And this people comes together again, hundreds of years later in Egypt as they grow and move back towards the promised land. Now, there is the physical descendants of Abram, but there's also the spiritual descendants. And these are actually the more significant descendants that God is talking about. Galatians 3.7 says this. And again, you'll see Abram all over the New Testament. Now then, that it is, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abram, of Abraham. You know, our kids sing that song, you know, Father Abraham, the many sons. You don't want me to sing anymore. (laughs) But why are they sons? It's not because they're Jewish. It's because they have faith in Jesus Christ. You see, we are Abraham's descendants by faith. Jesus even rebukes the Pharisees, the Jews, saying, you think you're the children of Abraham, but you aren't because you would you would know who I am if you were really the children of Abraham. And so we are children of Abraham by faith, and we receive his blessings, as we'll see here. He also, gives, he also promises Abram prosperity. In Genesis 12, 2, he says, And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. Genesis 13, 2, a chapter later, it says, Now Abram was very rich in livestock 
in silver and in gold. (coughs) Excuse me. So God made Abram very wealthy. Now, there is a mistake made in the Christian church today that this is applied to all Christians, that if you just had enough faith, you will win the lottery, right? If you just had faith, you would be rich in cattle and in goats and in gold and in silver, right? But the problem with that, as we like to say, is the Bible, right? You look at people like the disciples, men of tremendous faith, who were poor. You look at even our Savior, Jesus who was poor. See, God blessed Abram for a reason. That that the people would look and see Abram and say, whose God is his? That he would pour out such a great blessing. And that Abram would bless them because he had been blessed. And they would say, whose God is your God that you would be able to let go of these blessings to me? See, all of us have been blessed in some way, shape, or form. Either financially or with time or with talent or whatever it might be. And God has given it to us to share it, to be a blessing with the world so that they would look and say, who is your God that you would love and serve me in such a way with the blessings that God has given to you? And so he promises him prosperity. He also promises him protection. Look in verse three. He says, I will bless those who bless you. Maybe you remember when the Israelites are going in to spy out the land and Rahab, the prostitute, hides them. And God protects her from devastations when they come and and break down the walls of Jericho. And so God blesses those who bless him. He also says, and those who dishonor you, I will curse. You may remember just before that, as, as Israel is coming up out of Egypt, Egypt has held them in bondage for 400 years. And the Egyptians won't let them go. And so God curses them. He sends plagues upon them. And the final one, is that the oldest born male is killed. But then they follow him and God wipes out the entire military because they did not honor them. And so God cursed them. God brought his wrath upon them. And so God promises protection upon them. We also see that God calls Abram to a purpose. We're almost there. Two more. Look at verse 2 with me. He says, And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now we've talked about how this is fulfilled in the Old Testament. But ultimately this promise is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Galatians 3.8 details it for us. It says, And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, that means the non-physical descendants of Abram, Preach the gospel beforehand to Abram, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. You see, this was not a general blessing, like have a good day. This was a blessing towards our most immediate and most essential need. You see, all of us have disobeyed God. All of us have fallen under the curse of the law. You see, if you break the law, you suffer the consequences. If you speed, you get a ticket and you have to pay it. If you steal and you get caught, you have to go to jail. For us, the wages of our sin of breaking God's law is a curse. The curse of death. And so in this passage, it goes along 
In Galatians 3, in verse 13, it said, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Because Jesus became a curse on our behalf. He took on our sin and paid the price in full. We get the blessing of Abraham. We get the blessing of Christ, which is the very presence of God, the Holy Spirit. And this indeed is what we see in Abram's life, that he received the presence of God, that that was the greatest and final blessing that God gave to him. Look, if you would. Actually, let me just list it out to you. You can see through the story how God says, I will be with you and I will do these things. God says, I will show you a land. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. And then you look in verse 7, it says, The Lord appeared to Abraham, and he said, To your offspring, I will give this land. In other words, God promised his special, amazing presence to Abram. That no matter where he would go, whether he was in Ur or Haran or in Canaan, that God would be with him. This is the same blessing talked about in Galatians Chapter 3, that God would be with us through His Holy Spirit. (coughs) And so God's presence is upon Abram. God's presence is upon us by faith. Now, if you're Abram and God makes all these promises to you, how would you respond? Let's look somewhat quickly at verse 5 through verse 8. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that, had, that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. Now, this, this oak tree is, is a place of idol worship, okay? At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring, I will give this land. And see how he responds. So Abram built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. He made it a place of worship. From there, he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar again to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. I love what Abram's doing. Abram is saying, God, you have called me. You have promised your blessing upon me. You have promised me this land. And so I am going to establish your dominion here. I'm going to claim this land for you. I'm going to set up an altar of worship. What a great example for us. That our homes, that our offices would be places of worship. That redemption would flow out from us. That we would claim our neighborhoods and our workplaces For God. This is what Abram's doing here. He's responding with worship, saying, This land belongs to God. Abram Kuyper puts it this way He says, There is not one square inch of the entire creation about which Jesus Christ does not cry out, This is mine. This belongs to me. And Jesus makes that cry through the people that he has blessed by the salvation of Jesus Christ, by putting his presence with us through his Holy Spirit. See, God may be calling you from things in your life. God may be calling you from the comfortableness 
of your life, into doing something great, to following His calling, into closing your eyes, holding His hand, and following Him. And the question is, why in the world will we do that? It's because God is not just calling you away from something good. God is calling you to something great. Let's pray. (coughs) Gracious God, we praise You that You are the initiator of our relationship. Like Abram, you have called us to yourself, God. You have saved us, and we praise you for that, Lord. God, I pray that you'd help give us clarity at what areas in our life you might be calling us away from, God, and what you might be calling us to, God. Help us to sacrifice the comforts of our life, Lord, that we might pursue your glory and your purpose because it is far greater than anything we could possibly imagine. Lord, as we gather around your table and remember what Christ has done on our behalf, God, pray that you would stir our hearts, that you would bring upon us new repentance, and that we would once again trust in you and know your goodness and grace to us in Christ Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen.